0: All right. Please turn to John, chapter three. John chapter three. One of the um, one of the challenges that Dad and I face every week or so is just how much how much material are we going to cover? And um, usually, I have you know, I mean, most of Bibles are kind of divided. You know, there's like sections and so forth and. Uh, sometimes those fall in to be pretty good and, But the more I study, sometimes the amount of material I, I intend to cover gets less and less So um, it's probably good that we don't have as much time Because we're going to cover a fairly brief uh, section today Because uh, as, as you know, John chapter 3 uh, It's got the key verse, John 3.16 of course um, But there's just so much there that we're going we're to take a, a deliberate pace here All right Uh, By way of introduction, um, let's look back in chapter 2, and um, verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, there were people who were seeing what Jesus was doing, um, amazed by it, believed that he was doing them perhaps through the hand of God, but didn't necessarily believe he was God or believe that they needed to do anything about what they had seen. So, we have this interesting group of people who are unbelieving believers right it's It's really interesting and then in verse one of chapter three, and we know that in the greek there's there's no division lines there's no chapter and verse lines uh so the last sentence of verse twenty uh, i'm sorry chapter two flows directly into um chapter three, so we get this it says um but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, right? So John in his narrative is just flowing us from this group of people right into Nicodemus. This word now that is in there. Um, the little connecting word, uh, they say, can also be translated, but. So, here's all these group of people who believed, but they didn't fully believe, and so forth. But there was a man in Jerusalem, a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So, we... We just flow directly into that. So uh, let's break this down. And Nicodemus is a familiar name to us. Uh, this is where we meet him, and we find a little bit about him. It says he was a Pharisee, and we know that um, the Pharisees were um, the people that were rule followers, right? They were trying to they were trying to to really do the right thing. Now Jesus in the synoptic gospels has a lot of not so flattering things about the Pharisees as a group because some of them had just gone off the reservation and had been, um, they lost the big picture, right? They they lost sight of why they were doing what they were doing. But, But originally, the Pharisees were people who were really trying to align their lives with what they thought scripture was telling them to do. So we can be somewhat benevolent toward this group Uh, and give them benefit of the doubt certainly Nicodemus I think deserves some benefit of the doubt and truth be told if all of us were transported back a few thousand years we would be Pharisees we would have good familiarity with the law we'd be trying our best to line our lives up with that and we'd kind of be following the rules right so he was a Pharisee it goes on to say he was a ruler of the Jews so Um, This ruling body, we've heard about the Sanhedrin, right? So this is uh, 70 or so people who were – it was kind of a quasi-religious slash political group. So they were charged with kind of dispensing religious justice, so to speak. So when Rome took over, they became the de facto – Representatives to kind of keep the general peace as well, um, you know just keep things locally okay, and then if things needed to be escalated to the Romans, they would so they had this this um, uh, role. We hear about Nicodemus uh, in this chapter and in a couple other places in John, um, and we'll get to those later and 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 you'll uh, recognize some of those as well. It says in verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, uh, just to comment on a few of these things. um, So he comes to Jesus, right? He comes to Jesus for some more conversation. Um, He's seen the signs like everybody else. And he's interested enough to want to find out more. Now we see this pronoun, it says, we know that you are a teacher. So we don't know, really, is he an envoy from the Sanhedrin sent to scope out Jesus and find out what's up with him? Or we don't know if he's just personally interested? Or somewhere in between, maybe there are some people that are sympathetic to what they've been seeing Jesus do and and maybe Nicodemus is representative of some small core of the Sanhedrin and, and, and that's what he's referring to or another possibility has been put out there is just like Jesus was a rabbi and had disciples who followed him around Nicodemus was also a rabbi and he had people that followed him around so maybe um, maybe he's got some of his underlings that are following along and, and that's what he means by we but we don't really know but I will say that some commentators have toyed with the idea that Nicodemus may not have been a real person, that he was just kind of a, a uh, kind of a made-up figure that John was using to tell the story. Uh, that doesn't really make sense to me. It seems like he was a real person, and when Jesus puts some questions to him later, I think we can feel pretty confident that he was a real person. Um, some people have brought up this thing uh, he came to him by night and of course theologians love to speculate about these things what does that mean when he came by night Uh, does that mean that he was a little embarrassed to go talk to Jesus he didn't want the rest of the Sanhedrin to know about him is that why he came by night Uh, some people say well you know the days are busy he had his own responsibilities he got off work and um, now he had some time and he wanted some uninterrupted time with Jesus and goes and finds them out, and, you know, so they have this evening chat perhaps on the roof of, you know, some uh, house there in Jerusalem. Um, some people have brought up the point that in various points throughout John, this concept of being in the dark or being of the night is um, referring to kind of spiritual darkness. Um, is is it, you know, was is, is John saying, well, at this point Nicodemus was uh, spiritually unenlightened uh, again this is all speculation um, I, I kind of like the commentators who say eh John just put it in there because that's the way it was and it doesn't necessarily mean anything big uh, I kind of I don't know that just kind of rank true to me uh, sometimes we uh, can overread these these things um, anyway he says Rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do so Rabbi was a term of respect so there were different schools of theology, right? Um, and just like, you know, if you ever hear a bunch of pastors, you know, the first thing they do is kind of start to compare credentials. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to seminary? You know, all this sort of stuff. You kind of find out what team you're on and all that sort of stuff. Um, well, Jesus was not from a team, right? He He didn't study under Gamaliel. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't become a rabbi in the traditional way. He became a rabbi because you started off under a rabbi and then you ascended the ranks until you accumulated the respect so that people started calling you rabbi. (coughs) Jesus kind of, you know, came from the backside of nowhere and was just identified as rabbi. So he didn't have the pedigree. Um, But in fairness to Nicodemus, he's giving him that respect that he has uh, earned even though he didn't um, uh, have the traditional credentials. Uh, so we have a respectful Nicodemus coming to Jesus, um, and he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's what he said. Now, what did he really mean? Again, we're going to read into this, but I'll make a couple points just about this conversation. First of all, um, this, uh, I, I have full confidence that the things that happened in Scripture happened. Right, I believe Scripture said the way it happened, but I doubt that we have everything about this conversation. I think John has compressed it, given us the the outline of the story. I doubt Nicodemus walked across Jerusalem, tracked Jesus down, went up on the rooftop, and had a conversation that if we read this word for word all of chapter 3 it'd take us about 3 minutes I doubt all that happened and then he turned around and went home right they might have shared a meal they might have talked about their families Uh, who knows what but this we're getting the compressed version first of all but when he says we know that you're a teacher come from God blah 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 what he's really asking is who are you? Who are you? I know you come from God, but what do we do with you? How how am I supposed to understand what you're doing and so forth? Well, Jesus cuts right to it and just hones in on Nicodemus personally. Verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. So there's this, um, this when they say truly, truly, uh, that's like, Hey, pay attention. What I'm fixing to say is like, you know, this is important. Uh, this is this is the real story here. Um, this is a this is an emphasis thing to say. I'm going to lay it out for you, since you brought it up. Here is the deal. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. So that's maybe a little to take somebody aback. Here he is a rabbi coming with respect, and Jesus basically says, uh, you're not there yet. As a Pharisee, this concept of the kingdom of God uh, in the Old Testament, which is that was their Bible, right? Um, when they thought, talked about participating in the kingdom of God, Or or seeing the kingdom of God they meant that they were going to partake of those blessings you know it's all part of being in the right family God's chosen people I'm a Jew God's chosen people are going to inherit the blessings of the kingdom I'm in That that was what they thought Jesus is saying no Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, This seeing the kingdom of God, that's what that meant, participating in those blessings. Jesus is saying, no, unless you're born again, you cannot see that. I'll come back to this word again, and some of your study Bibles may make a point of this as well. Nicodemus goes with that thought, and he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In other words, Nicodemus takes this very literally and says, I don't, I don't, basically saying, I don't know what you're talking about. This doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Are you saying I'm going to go back inside my mom and get born again? What? I don't get that. Part of the answer here is this born again when Jesus says truly, truly I say to you unless one is born again in most of John that word again means above. So what Jesus is really saying truly, truly I say to you unless one is born from above he cannot see the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus takes the alternative way of interpreting it because the, the word can mean both things, and he makes it very concrete. This concept of being reborn, and and it's fair because this this born part is the root for generation and regeneration, and um, uh, it's it's that kind of a root about being born. So. He goes on in verse 5 and says, Again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, most translations that we tend to use, my English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the NIV, they sneak this little article in here in the English that's really not there. And it's in front of the word spirit. Where my Bible says, truly, truly, unless one is born of water and the spirit, it really means unless one is born of water and spirit. And so people have tried to figure out what does it mean, born of water and born of spirit? I got to tell you, until I did my study today, I assumed that meant unless one is born naturally and the water thing I'm picturing like when a woman's water breaks when she's pregnant. That's what I'm picturing. And I'm thinking, okay, unless you're born physically, and then you're born of the Spirit. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about two births here. He's talking about one birth. That is water, and it's a water and spirit birth. So that was new to me, and I had to dig into that a little bit and figure out what... That was about. So, this little phrase "water, spirit, birth," um, it took up many, many pages in the in the commentaries that I looked at. But because there's a lot of ways of interpreting this that I think most people have dismissed, but they've been talked about. So I'll dispense with the wrong ones, or most of the wrong ones anyway. Um, Some people have said this born of water and spirit that the water part (laughs) may have been referring to the baptism that John the Baptist was doing. And you remember, John, when it said he preached a message or he preached a baptism of what? Repentance. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance. And so some people like that the concept that this is referring to unless you're born with this water of repentance this this baptism in repentance and of the spirit the completion of that act then you're not going to get into the kingdom of God and you'll notice this uh, he says enter the kingdom of God which is like a step more personal than see the kingdom of God right so it's, it's Jesus is making it more and more personal uh, uh, personal and, and more and more exclusive, but it seems like the best way of understanding this is to remember who Jesus was talking to jesus wasn't wasn't just talking to a lay person like us. he was talking to what Nicodemus might have thought of as his equal. He was talking to someone who probably had memorized most all of the Old Testament. So when Jesus starts talking about being born of water and spirit, likely he would have called to mind a whole other picture for Nicodemus, and it comes from the book of Ezekiel. So turn over to the book of Ezekiel. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah... Jeremiah, Ecclesiastes, if I'm remembering that right. Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, while you're turning there, Ezekiel prophesied in the time of um, where the, the the dispersion, they were in captivity, right? The Israelites had, had gone astray. Um, the Assyrians had come and invaded northern Israel, right? We talked about this in Daniel. Um, the Babylonians had come and Persians and all that. So, so this is like Babylonian times. Um, the people that Ezekiel are writing to are, are hanging out with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Um, and this is a group that he's talking to. So he's talking to a group of people who have misbehaved to put it mildly, are dispersed, are cut off from their homeland, and we're going to find out that God is going to put things aright. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 22, and God says to Ezekiel, he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. In other words, you know, regardless of what I think about y'all, I'm doing this because you carry my name, because I've been associated with you. I'm going to do this for, for my holy name. And we know that ultimately, in case we forget, all these things and questions and the stuff that go on in the world, the injustices that we see and everything— uh, when God sets everything right, it's because he gets the glory of setting all this mess right. Right? And all of our suffering and all the, the suffering of all these other people, we feel for it. But ultimately, it's not about us. It's about him. And this is an example of that. Verse 23 says it again. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In other words, you have profaned my name, but when I fix y'all, then that's going to be put aright. He says in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will here we go I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful To obey my rules, you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So here we have God saying I'm going to cleanse you and I'm going to put my spirit in you. So going back to John, now this kind of starts to make sense, right? Jesus is talking to a rabbi who full well knows Ezekiel and he says, you need a water spirit birth. You need cleansing and a new spirit. You need cleansing and a new heart. You need cleansing and not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, a beating, warm, responsive heart. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. And this is, you know, he's going to do this throughout the book, where there are institutions currently in place religious institutions that he's just going to drop a bomb in the middle of it and saying it's not good enough and that's what he's telling Nicodemus he doesn't he doesn't make it explicit in this passage but basically saying I know you're a ruler, I know you're a rabbi I know you're on the Sanhedrin I know you're coming and you've got questions, but in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that you're a Jew, what you've done is not good enough. You're not going to enter the kingdom. You're not going to see the kingdom. You're not going to participate in the kingdom unless you've got a water spirit birth. Unless you're cleansed and put back in right relationship with God and you have been rebellious and far from God just like your ancestors who were in Babylon. Babylon. This has to have been sobering for Nicodemus. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's making the point that I'm not talking about you going back into your mother's womb and be born. I'm talking about something totally, totally different. This water-spirit birth, this born of water and the spirit, the concept of that applying to one birth instead of two took me a while. It wasn't how I had been reading it all along. But the more, I've, more I played with that term or that phrase, it starts to make more sense. And, and we kind of do this too, right? When we say, there he was, flesh and bone. We're not talking about two, th- two entities, are we? We're not talking about a skeleton and a pile of muscles. We're talking about one person with both of those things. And in the same way we use flesh and bone, Jesus is saying water, spirit. I put one little line through the word the in my Bible uh, just to remind me that unless one is born of water and spirit, to remind myself that those things go together. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And he's really trying to open his eyes here. And he says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. As you probably know, this word wind in the first part of the verse and the word spirit in the last part of the verse is the same word. It's a play on words. It's John and Jesus purposefully calling both of those things to our mind that you could say the spirit blows where it wishes and it would be just as correct but the context you kind of get the first one because you hear the sound and you feel it and so forth so He's making this point. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound. That's the way it is with the Spirit. The wind is not controllable. You're not sure where it comes from. You're not sure what it's up to. In the same way, the Spirit is that way. It is... Remember, the Pharisees are all about control, right? Um, He's asking Nicodemus to really step out into the wild, wild blue yonder and to submit himself to a Spirit who's going to take him who knows where. And that's that's the leap that Jesus is asking him to make from the comfort of a guy who probably thought he had it figured out to asking him to jump into the great unknown and to be reborn of the Spirit. So a lot of double word play here, right? We've got Born again, born from above, we've got wind and spirit. And even in that passage back in Ezekiel, where we hear about the spirit, that's the same. Even in Hebrew, it can mean wind and spirit. I'll close real quickly. It just so happens, chapter 37, is the passage where God takes Ezekiel and he looks out onto a valley of dry bones. Right? And ask the question Can these bones be made alive? And he says, Prophesy over these bones, and you hear the rattle, and you hear the skeletons assemble, and you see the flesh be put on those skeletons, and basically we've got zombies. They're just bodies. But then look what happens verse 4 it says then he said to me prophesy over these bones and then he says say to them O dry bones hear the word of the Lord behold I will cause breath to enter you and I will lay sinews upon you and call flesh upon you so that happened and in verse 9 it says now prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the winds o breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so i prophesied and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army this word breath is the very same hebrew word for the word wind is the very same hebrew word that we saw in chapter 26 that is spirit So it just so happens as Jesus takes Nehemiah, I mean, takes Nicodemus rather, to Ezekiel and reminding him of this spirit water birth. And then his very next statement, he's talking about the wind and the spirit. And it just so happens, that's the very next chapter in Ezekiel talking about these... Bodies were just bodies until the spirit came into them, and then they were alive. Pretty cool stuff, I think. Quick comments. Sure. Nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that through Jesus we can be born from above. We are so grateful. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.